It's difficult. It's difficult. You, you never take it lightly. If you're a good researcher, you never take it lightly. Uh, sacrificing the animals, you know, you, you really want to make it count because it's not, it's not a fun process. Welcome to The Vein. Hi, my name is Ayushi Srivastava, and I'm a third year in the college. I'm a pre-med, and like many pre-meds, I've dirtied my hands in biomedical research, which essentially means I've spent a lot of time in labs killing mice. Might sound a little shocking, but sacrificing animals is just a part of the job. We at The Vein were curious about different ways in which animals are used in research. So for this podcast, we've collected stories from student researchers about their experiences working with animals, both in and out of the lab. First, we talked to Celia, who uses mice to study Alzheimer's disease. My name is Celia Fernandez. I am a fifth-year graduate student in the Committee on Neurobiology in the Biological Sciences Division here at the University of Chicago. We study an enzyme involved in Alzheimer's disease. It's called BASE. Um, so it's an enzyme that's believed to be pathogenic in Alzheimer's disease. So why exactly do you need to use mice in your research, and how do you do it? I was really interested in protein trafficking in neurons, and so there's really no other way to do it except to do primary cultured neurons. And for that, you need to sacrifice the animals every week. So there need to be at least two methods of euthanasia for adults, and um, it's different versus adults versus like uh, newborn pups. So for adults, the standard method is you put them in a cage with uh, CO2 gas. Uh, you put them in the cage, they have plenty of room to, to move around it, and you hook it up to the CO2 tank, and um, eventually they asphyxiate. Um, so when they, they stop moving and they stop breathing, you have to wait until they stop breathing, and that can take a long time. Um, then the second method that's recommended is uh, cervical dislocation. Um, and this um, basically involves um, placing like a, a blunt object in between the head and the, uh, the rest of the body um, and the top C-spine and uh, pressing down enough so that you dislocate the, um, the spine, basically. Now, that might sound gruesome, but for many biomedical labs, it's essential. Mice are used for a huge variety of research. I worked in a rheumatology lab, and we used mice to model arthritis in humans. I work in a type 1 diabetes research lab, and we use mice as a model organism. My lab studies leukemia, and we use mice to study antigen production. But obviously mice aren't the only animal model. I work in a neuromechanics lab, and we use zebrafish and other fish species. I worked in a cognitive neuroscience lab over at Duke University. The monkeys come in because we can't stick electrodes in human brains. That's the rub. We usually experiment on animals because it would be impractical or unethical to run these tests on humans. Francesca, a third-year bio major, gave us a good example. She worked in a lab at Duke that used rhesus macaques, a usual primate of choice for research. We basically are trying to kind of discern the connection between different parts of your brain, different like types of neuron signaling, and how they work together to produce one output. My task was to train the monkey and collect the pre preliminary data. And I guess the main question, like in layman's terms, that they're trying to answer is, you hear a sound, what in your brain makes you look at it? So how exactly do the monkeys come into play? And does sticking an electrode in their brain hurt them? Um, so basically what happens is, you know, you go through this whole protocol. It's 
pages and pages on like the exact you know surgical procedures that go into making sure these monkeys like feel no pain it doesn't alter actually how their brain functions or anything the point is just that there's this little chamber on their head where you're able to access their brains it's pretty remarkable that we can stick electrodes in monkeys in order to learn about sound and sight in many ways, we can manipulate animals to serve as ideal models. Take Severine Cow, a lab tech who works with germ-free mice. Um, there are manipulations that we're doing in this lab that would just be completely unethical to do on humans. And also, just with like germ-free mice, they live their life in uh, these big bubbles that are just completely free of microbes. So that's not something you can do in humans at all. So far, we've introduced you to Celia, Francesca, and Severine. They all work with different animal models for different purposes. But one particular word kept popping up in our conversations. Whenever we experiment on mice, um, we, we call it sacrificing. You don't say killing. It's a very standard phrase. Yeah, and instead of killing, we, we say sacrifice instead to sort of, I don't know, I feel like it's a way to sort of dissociate ourselves from that, what we're actually doing, just taking their lives. You know, so many uh, drugs and therapies that have been made thanks to the animal sacrifice. Do you guys, you guys have to like sack the zebrafish at some point, right? In my lab, people usually say fix, which I always thought was a little fix. Like, um, probably part of it is, I know people do histology. Um, you kill them by putting them in a bunch of anesthetic, essentially. That was Noah Sawyer, a second-year biology student who works in a neuromechanics lab. I've had, I've had to anesthetize fish before, which is similar. Just not killing them. So you anesthetize guppies? Yeah. <laughs> I've had to do that. It's kind of amazing that we go through so much trouble to make sure the fish don't feel any pain. There, yeah. There's, um, I mean, there are people that spend their time researching how much pain they feel, what's the best way to anesthetize or fix a fish. How do you feel about that? Personally? Yeah. Um, I guess I'm pretty ambivalent about it. Uh, they have pretty high mortality rates in the wild. They're pretty low in the food chain. I think they're kind of lucky if they even hatch out of their eggs. We also asked Severine and Celia about the sensitive nature of animal research and how they personally feel about the sacrifice. I accepted it as just something that was done, you know, it's just, you go to work, this is what you do. Uh, it was not something I really questioned, and over time, very easily, it's kind of shocking to see how you lose sensitivity <laughs> towards the mice. Yeah, so initially I, I found it easier to dissociate myself from the process, and actually, I don't know if it, maybe I'm maturing, or I don't know what it is. Um, it just, it gets more and more difficult, actually, to work with the animals and, and know that you're, you know, going to sacrifice them or, you know, you want to make sure you're not doing terrible things to them, basically, and keep them happy. I, I think you get sensitized. I don't think you get desensitized the more you work with them. And in Francesca's case, the monkeys she worked with were easy to empathize with, as they showed human characteristics. As you kind of work with them more and more, you kind of, you do grow attached to them. Um, not always, I'd find myself kind of like talking to my monkey, um, even if no one else is in the room, I'd just be like, hey, how was your day? Like, do you want some pineapple? Here, have a grape. The more you interact with these monkeys, the more you might laugh, but the more they kind of start to remind you of yourself. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was wondering, I mean, I know that you don't have pain receptors and everything, but I kind of wondered, 
you know, if they felt anything or if they were bothered by the procedure at all. So far, we've explored one type of animal research that uses animals as a means to an end. Other biologists look at animals as the object of their study. Jason, a fourth year, spent last fall in Ecuador observing the endangered native condors. As you might imagine, his day-to-day concerns were completely different. So a condor uh, is like a really big vulture. It's like uh, like 10-foot wingspan. They weigh up to like 28 pounds. Uh, and they're like the ugliest animal that you will ever see because uh, they've got like this big bald head and it's really wrinkly uh, and they've got like a thing hanging down from their neck and this big crown on their head but it all like nothing it like really works together they look like they're just composed of like like a bunch of parts of other animals put on a bird and it's just like I mean they're gross but you know they're really cool too <laughs> the goal of the project actually uh, was not to like protect any wild condors that we did do observations on them um, but there was a set of seven captive condors and they we were trying to get chicks from them uh, so we could reintroduce them back into the wild. In addition to conservation work, Jason has also done lab-based research. He spoke to us about the different roles animals play in each of these fields. So maybe my, it's, my bias is a little clouded by the fact that in one I was studying birds and the other flies. Um, but I do think that in a laboratory setting, if, you, if the goal is like data-driven, right, you're just trying to get some sort of knowledge about something, right? Uh, then I think it's easy to sort of see the animals as a means to achieving that end, right? Um, but in the field, when you're looking at a conservation study, the animals themselves are the end. Like, you know that you're there in order to protect them. Uh, so that, I think, like, does definitely change the way that you view the sort of work. Whether working with condors in Ecuador or mice in a university lab, there's something unique about studying non-human species. The idea for the topic of this podcast came from one of our staff members, Paul Dillon. Here's Paul on why discussing animal research is important. I think that this is not something that most people care about at all. I'm certainly not anti-animal testing. Um, and I don't really think that somebody who's a humanist who cares about humans should be anti-animal testing. Um, especially not when it's for things like Alzheimer's disease. But at the same time, I think that it would be really disturbing if people didn't care at all. And these interviews show that people do care. It's something that people think about a lot. It's something that really bothers people. I think it's important that people who do this really, this really good work for other people are being human in themselves, and this is like the most human reaction possible. To put real effort into trying to make sure that you're doing the right thing when you take, another, when you take life for some sort of higher cause. And it's at the same time, it's really important to me that it's it's something that we're aware of the sacrifices of. We'd like to thank all those who contributed to this podcast and to thank you for listening. <laughs>